Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you and enjoy. The Gospels are written like a story. So when it comes to interpreting the Bible, we can look at so many different uh, mechanisms, if you will, for how to understand what's going on. You can look at a historical perspective and study what was going on in the cultures at the time from different literatures around that same time period to say, okay, what did they say was going on? And then you can compare that with the Bible to see what was written. You can look at what's called a canonical perspective and just mean the whole Bible in general. Like, and that would help you understand Israel, creation, sin, all of the battles Israel's in, how God's manifest himself. And as you look through all of that, you can use that as a backdrop to understand the passage you're reading. But one of the ways to interpret it is simply to look at it like a piece of literature, like a story. This would be called the narrative approach. Right? And when you do that, just like you do with any story, you want to know the whole story. You want to know what happens before the passage, what's happening after the passage, and that helps you zoom in and understand what's happening, the passage you're looking at. So, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 2. There's only two stories in the Gospel of John, chapter 2. What is the first one? Well, it's the wedding feast of Cana. If you remember, so the story where the Blessed Mother is really the center figure. She realizes they have no more wine because wedding ceremonies used to celebrations could go for several days in villages back then. So to run out of wine would have really impaired the party. Go to any wedding reception nowadays, and you get a little glimpse why the party would not have been as good. Okay, So they're out of wine, and Mary brings the needs to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, has it? Meaning, there is a, it's not like, hey, I'm supposed to do cool things at 6 p.m. It's only 4 p.m. Mom, what are you thinking? No, no. This would be not chronos, which is chronological time, but kairos, which means meaningful time. You know, like, there was a time in my life when, all right, that's time, all right? So he's like, my hour has not yet come, meaning there's an hour, Mary, where I will manifest my glory and divinity. Do you think it's now? Or another way of saying is, Mary, once I reveal my divinity, my glory, we can't go back to the quaintness of Nazareth. It's all mission from that time forward. And she, it doesn't say this, but you can imagine she looks at him like, it's up to you. Because she turns to the waiters and say, do whatever he tells you. Well, they bring him a bunch of jars. He transforms water into wine, thereby revealing his divine power, glory, and love. 
And so in John chapter 2, we see divinity. Jesus is not just a religious leader. He's not just a prophet. He's not a cool philosopher. He's not an ancient dude just to quote like Socrates. No, he is the cause of the Big Bang, the creator of the stars. He is Adonai, Yahweh, Lord in the flesh. He is God. And any first century Jew reading that would say, okay, he is God in the flesh. Now, the second part of chapter 2 is the cleansing of the temple. Before we get into that story, what happens after this, right? The narrative approach. What happens after this is he's talking to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and says, listen, we know you're kind of a big deal, right? Tell me more about this. And Jesus teaches the idea that God so loved the world I remember seeing that sign at all the football games. God so loves the world, John 3, 16, chapter 3. Here we are. God so loved the world that he sent his son, right, not to condemn it, but to save it and giving people eternal life. And then he teaches about baptism. What does this mean? Jesus is saying, it's not just for you to look at me and think, wow, that's cool that you're so awesome. He's saying, I want to share my life with you through the sacraments of the church. First being baptism, and then the rest of the story, there's the Eucharist, right? Then you talk about marriage and priesthood. There's all sorts of the sacraments talked about through the scriptures. But meaning that it's not just looking at the beauty and power and mercy and glory of Jesus. He wants to give us a share in his power over sin, Satan, death, over all the powers that divide us, all the accusing voices, the discouragement, the fear, the temptation. He's like, you don't have to be strong In fact, I need you to be weak with me and I'll share with you all my love. I will allow you to enter into divine life. So, beginning of chapter 2, he's God. Chapter 3, I want to share it with you. So what are we dealing with today? The cleansing of the temple. Jesus didn't have a bad day and so he made a whip and got rid of people. It's not like he didn't have his cup of coffee, and all of a sudden he's like, that's it, I'm out of I'm out of time, I'm just going off the rails. No. He goes into the temple, and the temple was meant to be an image of him. What is the temple? It's where divinity and humanity meet. For all of Israel, the temple was the most sacred place. It is where all of God's revelations were stored. Inside the temple was the ark. And in the ark were a bit of the Ten Commandments, part of the manna given in the desert, right? And a part of Aaron's staff. God's presence, God's activity, God's condescension, him coming down to work with Israel was remembered, symbolized, and accomplished in the temple. Also, all their activities of being moral, of being good, of taking care of one another, of loving their neighbor, all of those activities were summed up and offered to God. And so in the temple was the meeting place of God's condescension and the human ascension, and they would meet in the temple. Well, where does humanity and divinity actually touch and meet? Welcome to the birth of Christmas. Who is Jesus? John 2, right? He manifests his divinity through miracles. 
humanity and divinity touch in Jesus. And so he goes into the temple and he realizes people are no longer seeing the temple as this place where God's condescension and the human arising can meet. They're distracted. There's all sorts of energies and activities going on that are distracting the people from the depth, beauty, and meaning of the God of Israel. Namely, I am a God who wants to communicate with you. I care about you. I am with you. I have liberated you. I have guided you. I have taught you. I am here. And they're like, how much does that cattle cost? Real quick, I got two doves. How about you give me three? I'll give you three doves. They're auctioneers going back and forth. And so Jesus is like, if they can't get the temple right, they ain't going to get me right. And if they don't get me right, they can never share what I have in John 3 for them, namely the gift of divine life. I want to live in them. And later on in the spiritual tradition, we began to read in the cleansing of the temple that it wasn't just for first century angry Jesus who was rightfully angry. We should be angry at evil things. He was upset by this. We realize we hear in St. Paul, did you not know you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Each one of you and me is a temple of God. He's alive and at work in and through your life and your story. Thanks be to God for baptism, confirmation, Eucharist. That used to be called christening. You were becoming Christ in the world. As you, your uniqueness. So the spirit tradition saw the cleansing of the temple as Jesus wants to cleanse us. So this week I was looking at a piece of art. Raise your hand if you've heard of the painter Caravaggio. Michelangelo Caravaggio. Good, about 12% of us. Okay, good. So now I have to back up and explain that weird name. Caravaggio is an amazing painter, all right? But when he, he has some piece of artwork at the Cleveland Museum of Art. It's the martyrdom of St. Andrew. But he's known for Doubting Thomas and some other great paintings. He's always big on contrasting light and darkness, these dramatic figures, really beautiful art. But in an early piece, he painted the cleansing of the temple. And there's Jesus coming down from the steps of the temple with a whip. All right, he's ready to hit everyone out of there. And there's just a mass of people scurrying away. Just a huge amount of people. And what you realize was how busy, frenetic, chaotic the temple must have been with all those people buying and shopping and all the buzz and all that energy going on. And behind Jesus on the stairs is the only empty space in the painting. He drove them out to create this empty space. Jesus wants there to be an empty space in you and in me. Because the empty space in the temple was the condition by which the God of the universe could fill it. 
While it was full with all these money changers and distractions, God's voice, God's activity, God's presence could not be noticed, received, and celebrated. Humanity and divinity could not be reconciled and touched. But when Jesus cleanses it, now there's an empty space and God can enter in. This was his concern 2,000 years ago. Between TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, not to mention YouTube, Netflix, and just simply texting people, and Marco Polo, and add anyone else you want. Our inner life is full of money changers, oxen, cattle, doves, you name it. In fact, the number one thing we don't want to feel is bored. And yet Jesus' first move, I am God. His second move is, I need to purify your temple. So the third move, so I can fill it with divine life. We experience Jesus to the degree we allow him to empty us of all the distractions and energy. I've been fasting this Lent on Wednesdays and Fridays, and I gave up TV and YouTube. I'm bored out of my mind, (laughs) so I've been reading a ton. And there's a place every day about 8.40 p.m. My appointments are done, and I know I'm not about to go watch TV. I know I can't watch a YouTube video. I know I'm not going to have more food. I know I'm not. I gave up alcohol, too. I'm not going to have a drink with Father John. And I just, like, I get to my room, and I shut the door, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. A 37-year-old man, I feel like I'm five. Like, I need a mom to be like, why don't you color? And then we can put you to bed. (laughs) Because God is emptying me of all the things that are good. None of that's evil. But none of it's God. And so he wants me to suffer Not because he hates me, but because he thinks I can become something great. And so he wants me to suffer the growing pains of emptiness, of boredom, of silence, so that he can then fill me with more divine life and beauty and glory and infinite love. Let me put it in the way the church has said it for 2,000 years. It's called the Paschal Mystery. We have to die so that we can rise. We have to let go so we can receive. We only get back what we give away. And we so much cling to these things that Jesus is like, you're clinging to a Dorito chip and I have a banquet prepared. Will you suffer hunger pains for a little bit out of trust that I do love you? Will you read the paragraph of John 2 to get to the paragraph in John 3? Will you push through Good Friday and Holy Saturday so that you can be filled with the astonishing glory of the glory and resurrection of Easter Sunday?
I want to end with the final story about St. Mother Teresa. I was trying to think about it. I think it was 16 years ago I read this book called The Simple Path by Mother Teresa. Real short book. I read it in a couple hours. I remember because I was at a Life Teen conference. I was a core member. It's at a Life Teen conference at Notre Dame. They used to have a conference at Notre Dame. And uh, I didn't want to go to the afternoon session, so I went to the bookstore, bought this book, and I read it. She creates a six-step path to peace, Mother Teresa. Right? It goes like this. Silence leads to faith. Faith leads to prayer. Prayer leads to love. Love leads to service. Service leads to peace. All my homilies are on a podcast. So if you're like, oh, I, should, I wish I could. I'm never going to remember that. Just go on our podcast, basilthegreat.org. You'll find it. That was a free promotional. Okay. She doesn't begin with, try really hard and fill your calendar, and then you'll find peace. She doesn't begin with, pray every day as long as you can, and then you'll find peace. She doesn't begin with, all right, volunteer for everything so that you can prove that you're not bad or selfish, and then you'll find peace. The process St. Mother Teresa laid out was silence. In silence, the exterior world begins to dim and your inner life becomes illuminated. And what you discover is, I'm a stinky temple full of oxen and doves, which means there's bird poop and other things all inside of me. And how could anything glorious ever want to live in here? When you become aware of that, stay there for a few more minutes or days because there's going to be a crazy man with a whip that cleans everything up for you, and his name is Jesus. And he will empty you of all of these things, and you realize, no, no, I want my oxen back. Because we don't like being empty. We don't like feeling weak. We don't like feeling dependent and vulnerable and exposed. And so we cling to things. And he says, let me get the ox out of you. And he empties us, and we will stay there panting and begging. And how is this going to happen? You're dying on a cross, and what's dying is your ego. And as you die and put it to death, you will soon begin to taste from the inside out the love and freedom and beauty of the Father. And when that happens, you have become Christ. The sacraments of your baptism and confirmation and Eucharist are building up in you from the inside out. And then you can go back to a TV show. You can go back to these things with a new freedom. They don't have to be perfect. They can just be good because you know the perfect one. His heart is beating within you. This transformation is not for some. It happens at every Mass where we celebrate the death and resurrection on the altar and then we eat the transforming power of Jesus and he touches us to accomplish this. And another name for this is called Christianity. Which we see for just a few minutes. Aaron Hogan, our youth minister, has a few announcements. Wow, that was a nice welcome. Thanks, guys. I thought after a full weekend together, you'd be tired of me getting up to speak. So thank you. 
Um, I just wanted to take a few moments um, to just say thank you to the entire parish of St. Basil for all of the prayers that you guys have been giving and the support to the whole Life Team program, and most especially our kids who are on retreat this weekend. As Father Ryan said, and as you can see, we just spent the whole day yesterday together um, out on retreat. It was just a wonderful way to get away from the noise of the world and be able to focus on our relationships with Christ and have an absolute blast while doing it. I mean, like we threw Cheeto, those cheese balls into a nun's mouth. All right. Like we had fun too, (laughs) but it was, it was more than that as well. It's, it's about really truly encountering our Lord. Um, And I know for me, that's just the most impactful and humbling part of my job. I had a, a teen after confession come up to me during adoration and just say, can I talk to you? And as a youth minister and probably as a parent, you're like, okay, I guess so. Yeah, for sure. Um, and we just sat down and, and the team was just expressing like, I, I just, I heard God. I met him. I, I encountered him. I don't even know how to describe it in words, but it just, I came into this retreat, not even really wanting to be here. And, but I just, I, I heard God and I need to live differently from this moment. And I like, I just almost, you know, started crying right then and there because it was so beautiful to see how powerful the Spirit is. Um, and we had an open mic over there and so many people were just sharing their amazing experiences in prayer and it was just so beautiful. Um, and so I just want to take a moment to say a couple thank yous to everyone who made it possible. Um, first of all, for all the core members who sacrificed their weekend to come and to lead the the table for these kids. I can't do my job without you guys. I want to say thank you to Father Ryan for being so supportive to us and for Father John, who also came out, gave a talk, um, Deacon Dave, who also came and joined us for a portion of the day. We just have such a wonderful and supportive staff here at St. Basil that it makes my job really easy. We have amazing musicians. Danny and Mike were out last night. We had other priests come for confession. We had about half of the Mercedarian Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament out praying with us last night, and two of them spent the entire day on retreat with us. So just so thankful to all of them. For all the parents who came out who helped with registration and confession and ice cream Sundays at 10 p.m. last night. Um, for uh, our amazing tech wizard, Jeff Hamsky, who does all of the behind the scenes work just to make sure that all of this runs smoothly. Um, to all of the families and parents who let us have your teens for an entire day, thank you for your yes. Thank you for your support. Um, thank you for your influence in your kids' lives. Um, and then thank you so much to just all of the teens. Um, you guys make just everything so worth it. And I'm so humbled and grateful to be your youth minister. So thank you for your yes. Um, and I cannot wait to see you at Life Teen next week. Woo. Thank you guys. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.